This will be the last time for a little bit. Uh, Mark chapter number four. We're going through the gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and uh, we're almost, after today, we'll be a quarter of the way done. So we're getting there. Uh, it is taking us a while. This is, a, this is sermon number 15 in the series, so we'll have uh, several more to go, but um, so what's 15 times 4? Uh, that's 60, so we could potentially end up with 60 sermons in this uh, particular book of the Bible, and it may even be more than that. Who knows? Um, but uh, all right, Mark chapter number 4, verse number 35, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, all the way down through verse 41. The Bible says this, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, Carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? And how is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Our Father, we thank you for this particular passage. This is a very familiar uh, account that uh, a lot of us are familiar with. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a fresh look at it uh, this morning. And I pray, Lord, you would apply these truths to each and every individual heart. Uh, Lord, there are people here going through great storms I know it, and I pray, Lord, that they would learn the lessons that are found in this precious passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be obedient, help us to uh, respond out of submission and out of love for you to the Word of God today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in Mark chapter number 4. Uh, we have already seen four different parables that Jesus was teaching. So Jesus spent most of this chapter, and of course, when it was originally written, when Mark wrote it, he didn't write it with the uh, chapter divisions. But, uh, but still, it is interesting to me that uh, in Mark chapter 4 records four different parables, and then it looks as though it takes a really abrupt turn here in verse number 35, and we go from parables to a very giant problem that the disciples were facing. Uh, I remember reading about uh, Chippy the parakeet. Chippy the parakeet never really saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, but the next moment he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. So she removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it into the cage. Well, the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up, and she barely said hello uh, when Chippy got sucked into the vacuum cleaner. The bird owner, ga the bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive, but absolutely stunned. Well, since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and now shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chip Chippy never knew what hit him. Well, a few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted uh, Chippy's owner to see how the bird was faring and recovering. 
Well, she replied, uh, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. <laughs> it's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. And perhaps you, too, this morning can relate to Chippy. Maybe you have been sucked in, washed up, and blown over as well by the storms and the problems of life that have come your way. We here in Oklahoma know all about storms, don't we? It's uh, always something we need to be on watch for and looking at the weather. And there have been many days, even this summer, that uh, I haven't really looked at the weather. I thought all was going to be well. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, came some tremendous storms. That uh, hailstorm that came through Norman and did quite a bit of damage there in Norman, uh, I was not even on my radar. Uh, these problems, these storms that come our way are usually unexpected and uh, hard to predict. Um, and uh, as much as these weathermen get paid uh, for their services, um, they can't always predict everything that comes as well. Now, storms and trials and difficulty and situations that are out of our hands and out of our control do come into our lives. In fact, according to the Word of God, they're promised. Uh, we see several promises in Scripture regarding the reality of trials and storms that come into our life. James, here's how he begins his book, his letter to those uh, 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Here's how he begins the book. In verse number two, he says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So James says, hey, look, you need to just count it all joy when you go and experience a storm. When you're experiencing a trial, a difficulty, you need to count it all joy. When, not if. Um, so they're promised, and that's a fine how do you do, James. <laughs> and by the way, you're going to have a whole bunch of storms and trials that are going to come into your life. That's how he begins his book. Now, these storms come in different forms, as you know. Sometimes they are a, a storm that deals with our health. And uh, we perhaps go to a doctor's appointment and, and get a report from that doctor's appointment that is not expected at all. And uh, we enter into a difficult, crazy storm of health. Uh, perhaps it's a financial storm, and a lot of people during COVID experienced just that, um, where a lot of their, uh, their security, financially speaking, was gone because of COVID. Uh, financial storms come, future storms come, as we think about what the future holds, and, and that, could, that could create a storm in our mind that uh, is just out of our control. Family drama is also another storm that oftentimes comes into our life where the, uh, the family's not getting along or there's a child that's wayward and, and it's a storm that is out of our control and there's nothing we can do. These storms are promised that they would come into our life. And uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's good for us to understand that they're not uh, just for only the people out there and I don't ever have to experience one. No, no, it's for every one of us. In fact, Jesus promised himself that in this world, ye shall have tribulation. Then he, praise the Lord, says this, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So storms are indeed a part of life. And this passage, uh, this record here, this event um, that we're about to study this, this morning is full of lessons for us as we deal with the storms in our own individual lives. So this morning, I want to invite you to uh, sit back, go with me on the three-hour tour. Just kidding. Uh, we're not going to go on Gilligan's Island this, this morning, but we are going to, in a way, get into the boat with the disciples and with Jesus and, and hopefully learn some lessons uh, that, uh, that they learned and and, and hopefully we learn this morning as well regarding the storms of life. So as we get on board this boat, um, let's first of all notice this morning that the storm was chaotic. The storm was absolutely chaotic. It was out of control. Let's pick it up in verse 35. So the Bible says this, and here's the connection to the previous teaching that went on. Those four parables that we studied the last four weeks... 
Um, right after that, he, he didn't spend four weeks going through those uh, particular parables. We did. He did it within a matter of perhaps a couple hours, uh, maybe even an hour. I don't know how long it took him to go through these parables. But it was all on the same day. And verse number 35 says, In the same day when the even was come. So after he gets done teaching all these lessons to the disciples, uh, it's starting to get late and the uh, sun is starting to, to set. And here, here's what he says in verse number 35. Let us pass over unto the other side. And so uh, in verse 36, uh, the Bible says, They took him even as he was in the ship, and they were also with him other little ships. So they basically got him in the ship, and, and also they were in the ship as well. And uh, this is a scary story for a little Emerson here, I can tell. Um, she hears about storms, and immediately, that's, that's, that's all there is. Um, well, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus and the disciples get into the ship, and it's evening time, and all is well. The, ship was, the storm was not chaotic yet. They get in the ship, and it's smooth sailing. It's a clear passageway. It's a nice evening, and they get, and they're going to go to the other side. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the Bible says in verse number 37, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So the storm was at night, and it was dark, and the wind was boisterous. Again, we know what wind is like here. I, I think, uh, as I've mentioned, I, I think the Lord was preparing us, preparing me all my life to live here in Oklahoma. I lived in the high desert of Southern California, and it got windy out there. And then we moved up to Montana, and you would think, oh boy, it's always calm and peaceful there. Well, actually, the, the wind could come howling through there as well. And uh, one day we had a, uh, uh, as I mentioned, we had a uh, trampoline in our house, and the wind was so intense that that took the trampoline. It was in our backyard at one moment. The next moment, it was in our front yard. It was pretty amazing. Uh, so then we moved down here, and, uh, well, this is a whole different category of wind. I do know that. In fact, I know that Moore is actually home to the highest recorded wind speed ever recorded on planet Earth at a whopping 301 miles per hour back in the 1999 tornado. So as uh, these disciples are dealing with wind, take that, Peter and James and John. <laughs> you think you had it tough there on, that, on, the, on the sea that night. Man, we have it tough here and more. The storm was chaotic. But uh, one thing I want us to look at regarding the storm is, letter A, first of all, it was ordered. It was ordered. Now, this didn't just, it seems like it came out of the blue and it had no rhyme or reason, but actually it was ordered on reason. I believe in studying for this uh, that actually this is one of Satan's many attempts to try to destroy Jesus Christ and to kill him and to end his life. Remember uh, several times in the life of Christ, we see uh, Satan try this through using people to do this. Uh, Herod, uh, remember, uh, tried to kill or did kill all those children two years old and, and under. And uh, the, Lord say, the Lord brought Jesus down to Egypt during that time. And uh, that was an attempt to kill and eradicate Jesus Christ and to stop the plan of salvation. Well, in Luke chapter number 4, if you want to just super fast look at this with me, uh, Luke chapter 4, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not too, don't worry, we're, not, we're going to come back on the main track here in a moment. But uh, Luke chapter number 4 and verse 28, it says this, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, again, things that Jesus had said, they were filled with wrath. They rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him into the under the brow of the hill whereupon or whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. So they were going to throw this guy over the cliff, and that was going to be the end of Jesus Christ. So they thought. But I, I like verse number thirty. But he 
but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Like they, they were all upset and all up in arms and they were going to they were gonna finally get rid of this Jesus and then Jesus just kind of simply peacefully walks through this mob of angry people and uh, he went his way. Like, yeah, you guys can think all that, but, but good luck. I'm God. Good luck trying to kill life. Um, so I believe that this storm was one more attempt upon the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, you say, well, does that mean that Satan then has power over nature? Um, it, it's, it's hard to really say yes, but it's also hard to say no when the Bible says that he is the power, the, 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 power, the prince of the power of the air, right? And he's the god of this world, uh, Paul calls him in the book of Corinthians. So it's, it's likely that he does have, God has given him some abilities in that area, in that realm. And so he can, and I believe that this was an attempt upon his life. Um, now, it is interesting to me, though, as we go back to Mark chapter number 4, that uh, these disciples, were they where they were supposed to be? Were they supposed to be in that boat during this storm? Yes or no? If you're wondering, I'll give you the answer. It's yes. <laughs> um, because here it is, in verse number 35, here's what Jesus says to those disciples. Let us pass over unto the other side. So he says, we're going to get into that boat, and if you're obedient, you're going to get into that boat. Okay, well, I'm obedient. That means I'm going to have everything go right for me, correct? I'm doing exactly what Jesus says and God wants for my life. Therefore, everything is going to be smooth sailing from here on out, correct? No, this passage is teaching us quite the opposite, that sometimes when we do follow the Lord, when we are right there in the center of God's will, that does not mean that we're not going to encounter storms. In fact, sometimes we're going to encounter some serious storms. And so don't you know, automatically assume that when you are going through a trial, a storm in your life, that, oh, I must not be in God's will. Now, that could be the case. Could be that the Lord is trying to get you to come back to Him. But it also could be that it's just something that comes with being in God's will. You're going to go through those ups and downs of life. And so it was ordered. They were absolutely within the will of God, and yet they still experienced the storms. Job's friends, remember, they automatically assumed that the reason that Job was having all of this huge storm that came into his life, and it affected all the things we talked about. I mean, it, talked to, it, it affected his health, it affected his finances, it affected, I'm sure he thought about the future, it, it, it created some family drama because his wife and him were a little bit at odds when she said, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? And so this huge storm came into his life, and Job's friend says, Job, I know why. It's because you're not in God's will. But that couldn't have been further from the truth. In fact, he was so much in the will of God that that's why God allowed those storms to come into his life. Remember he said, hey, would you consider my servant Job to Satan? It was God who called upon Job to go through this. So many times when we go through our lives, understand that, hey, it does not necessarily mean that uh, it was because we're not in the will of God. And, and for you to assume that other people, the reason they're going through a time of storm is because they're not doing what's right, uh, that's, uh, that's the wrong assumption, I promise you. It could be, but that's not for us to judge. That's for God to deal with and let in Him alone, not for me to try to figure out uh, why you're going through a difficult time. So this chaotic storm, even though it was chaotic, it was ordered. But then, notice this, it was overwhelming. It was also overwhelming in verse number 37, this great storm of wind. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now, these, these disciples were experts at fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Like, this was not their first rodeo, going out on the sea and experiencing a little bit of weather. They had done this countless times, like no big deal. But something about this storm was a little overwhelming to even them. 
How many of you have ever heard the expression, God never gives us more than we can handle? How many of you have ever heard that? I, and if you believe that, <clears throat> that, I hate to burst your bubble this, this morning, but that's not a true statement. Because if that was true here, then these guys would have been like, no big deal. God's not going to give us more than we can handle. We can just bail ourselves out of this. No, he made this so overwhelming to them. In fact, they were so overwhelmed in verse number 38, they thought they were going to die. They said, this is beyond us. See, here the Lord allowed a storm to come that was more than they could handle despite all of their training, despite all of their experience and their strength and their wisdom that they had accumulated all over, the, over those years. See, he, he does this to show us that we can't handle it on our own, that we need him. So sometimes he'll allow a storm that is overwhelming in our life so that we don't depend upon ourselves to get us through that storm, so that we're forced to depend upon him. And that's what he did with the disciples, that, hey, your experience, you're, you're seasoned, you're veteran fishermen, you know how to handle this. No, this was a little bit beyond them. Sometimes God allows situations to come into our lives that are a little beyond us so that we can look to the Lord. Are you overwhelmed today? Would you say, Pastor, the truth is I'm experiencing a storm today that is a little overwhelming, and I don't really know what to do. I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to do another little rabbit trail here and have you hold your place here in Mark 4, but let's go back to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. <clears throat> Verse number 21. We're going to read uh, about 10 verses here, maybe 11. Psalm 107 and verse number 21. Oh, that men, verse 21 says, would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He says, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And then here, this is going to be a little familiar here, ties in with where we're, where we're at in, in Mark chapter 4. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. Sometimes these storms are even commanded by the Lord. And uh, you could make a case that this one was as well. But uh, I, I think that uh, the one that they were experiencing in Mark 4 was, was not of the Lord, it was of uh, Satan. But here we go in verse number 25 again. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Verse 26, they mount up to the heaven. In other words, the boat. How many have been on a boat that's been through some rough seas and you're like this? We've been on a couple of cruises. Um, and uh, one day I didn't feel so good because we hit some waves that were like whoosh, whoosh. Um, and so that's what he's talking about in verse 26. They mount up to the heaven, then they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble, verse 26 says. Are you there right now, perhaps, where your soul is melted because of the trouble that you're experiencing in your life? Verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Probably most of us are familiar with that phrase, I'm at my wit's end, the end of my wits. Well, they get that right from this passage here. It's an overwhelming situation. They reel to and fro. They're trying to figure it out, but it's beyond them. It's too much. It's overwhelming. But then notice this in verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. You can keep reeling to and fro and staggering like a drunken man trying to figure out your way through the trial and the storm that you're going through, or you can go to verse 28 and cry unto the Lord in your trouble. If you do, he'll bring you out of your distresses. 
Verse 29, he maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. And here's that reminder again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Are you overwhelmed this morning with a storm that is coming to your life? Good. Means you're going to have to uh, trust the Lord instead of trusting the arm of your flesh to get you through it again. Uh, maybe this is meant so that you can, you'll get your eyes on the Lord instead on yourself. And these guys, they had to get their eyes off of themselves and then on to the one who could do something about it. And so they come in verse number 38 and they find Jesus. That's a good thing to do. When you're in distress, you can keep trying to figure it out. You can keep trying to, you know, get that water and try to, try to bail water and, and throw things over. They said, you know, enough of this. Let's go find Jesus. That's a good thing to do. You say, well, why didn't they just go at, at the beginning? Well, they were in the learning process. They were still in school. You and I have the whole Bible. What's our excuse? Their excuse is they, didn't, they were still learning. They were still trying to understand and figure out who Jesus is and, and learning what he can do and what he can't do and what he chooses to do. Uh, you and I have the finished word of God. What's my excuse and what's yours? So we see that this, first of all, the storm was chaotic. But then I want us to see number two here. The sailors were concerned. All right. And the word concerned here may be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> uh, uh, look at verse number 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And we'll come back to that in a little bit here. They awake him. They probably didn't. Do it carefully, you know, like my kids don't like to be woken up with the uh, turning on the lights and, you know, removing the covers and say, all right, time to get out of bed, rise and shine. You know, they like to be like gently woken up. And I do too. I don't really want my wife to turn on the lights. And but sometimes she does when she has to get things done. And uh, I like to be like gentle wake up. I'm pretty sure that these disciples didn't do a gentle wake-up for Jesus. Jesus, are you sleeping? It's time to wakey-wakey. No, no, no. I think it was, Jesus, we're about to die. Don't you care? I mean, it was a, it was a pretty intense wake-up call, I'm sure. Now, a couple things I want to focus in here on, this, on these sailors. First of all, we see their great concern in their fearful assumption. They were so afraid that they had an assumption, and the assumption was that they were going to die. Fear took over, and all of a sudden, that fear led them to the worst possible situation, and it did it that quick. They thought, we're sure going to die. And fear in our life can definitely cause us to go down that road really fast and auto automatically assume that the worst is going to happen. And as I'm saying this to you, I'm like this, one finger at you and three back at me, because you may not need this message, but I sure do. And uh, when fear comes into my heart and my life, my, my natural tendency is to let that fear take me to the worst possible scenario right away. That's what happened with these disciples. A big storm comes. It's beyond us. We're going to die. We're all going to die. When I, uh, some of you may not know this, but uh, this tooth right here is not real. Fake news. <laughs> this was the original fake news. This is an implant. The reason I had an implant, it, I have an implant, is because when I was about 11 or 12 or so, I was on my skateboard with a uh, wagon tied to the back of my skateboard, and I was riding it on my knee. And I've shared this story before, but for those who haven't heard, I was riding it on my knee, and I was paddling along like this, 
Well, we had uh, mailboxes on our street there in Lancaster, California, not like the ones here that are made like little houses out of concrete and brick. I'm like, man, that's a house. <laughs> I'm probably paying property taxes on that mailbox. I mean, I, I'm sure I am. Homeowners Association, all that. Anyway, but in California, they just had these little uh, poles, aluminum poles, with the uh, mailbox on it. I'm riding along, going really fast. Well, I came by one of those mailbox posts, and uh, I went past the mailbox. The rope went past the mailbox, but the wagon got stopped at the mailbox pole. And so everything stopped except for Eric. And the first thing to hit the ground was this front tooth right here. And it snapped about halfway from my gun line to the end of the tooth. And uh, over time, that tooth ended up dying and uh, I needed to do an implant. Well, when that happened that day, I went into the bathroom and I looked at my, I, I knew I was hurt, I knew it was bad. And I, I get to the bathroom, I turn on the light, look in the mirror, I see blood everywhere. I'm gonna die! <laughs> I for sure thought that was the end of my life right then and there, because I broke a tooth. <laughs> okay, that's what fear does though. It automatically takes us to the worst possible scenario. Uh, a couple years ago in Jordan, Minnesota, officers were called to check on the welfare of an adult male in one of their local neighborhoods, standing motionless outside near a home wearing no coat in the cold, and get this, hugging a pillow. This is a very disturbed individual. Out in the cold in Minnesota, standing outside without a coat, hugging a pillow. And uh, so somebody called the cops, and rightfully so, because this is an individual that is quite disturbed. Well, upon arriving on scene, officers discovered that the adult male in need of possible assistance was actually a cardboard cutout of my pillow CEO and inventor, Mike Lindell. <laughs> Those cardboard cutouts sure can look real from a distance. And the caller certainly was not wanting to get too close, thinking, who is this deranged person standing outside in the cold hugging a pillow? Always better to call the police. See, the thing is, is our eyes can deceive us. And fear begins to take over, and automatically we think it's this thing that really isn't the case. Here's another one that took place. Here's another story that took place a little more recently, about three months ago in Poland. Another situation occurred. A desperate woman reached out to the Krako Animal Welfare Society in Poland after she came across what she believed to be a dangerous animal stuck in a tree outside of her home. Thinking it could be an iguana or other kind of reptile, the lady said that she refused to open her window because she was afraid that the animal would get into her house. Well, the organization said its officers had asked the caller whether the unidentified animal, whether, uh, which had been in the tree for two days, could be a bird of prey as it was likely too cold outside to be an iguana. Here's a photo of what she saw there from her window. It looks kind of scary. Well, after arriving on the scene, ex-inspectors found that the object that had been sitting in the lilac tree was simply a flaky pastry croissant, <laughs> most likely thrown out the window to feed the birds. The headline of this article made me chuckle quite a bit. It said, this lady called the cops on a croissant. <laughs> Enough said is what the uh, article headline was. Now, I know this took place in Poland, and you're thinking, I've got some Polish jokes for you. Be careful. I'm one-eighth Polish. So, uh, but uh, I'm allowed to say those, but you're not, unless you're Polish. But... Um, and you're thinking, you're Polish, that explains everything. No wonder. Okay. It kind of helps me understand you a little bit, Pastor. Well, here's the thing, though. Oftentimes, we fear something only to find out that it was just a figment of our imagination. We spend time worrying, don't we? We fret to even the point of developing ulcers over something that may never even actually happen having stress headaches, and uh, having horrible health, all for something that isn't even real. We stress out over this, over a croissant, 
Fear leads us to the worst possible outcome. But then we see, secondly, not only does, uh, we, do we see their uh, fearful assumption, but then we see their false accusation. Verse 38 again, at the end of it, it says, And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They falsely accused the Lord Jesus of not caring about them. They actually have the audacity to accuse the Lord of glory of not caring. Mar they weren't the only ones. Martha, later on in the Gospel of Luke, we find her accusing Jesus of not caring as well. As she was trying to get the hors d'oeuvres ready to serve Jesus, and her sister Mary, the lazy bone Jones that she was, was just sitting there at the feet of Christ when she's out there and she just had enough and she huffs and she puffs and she says, uh, don't you care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Don't you care, Lord? When we're going through a storm and a trial, uh, one temptation for all of us is to question whether God really cares about what we're going through. Let me assure you this morning on this last Sunday of July of 2021 that God does indeed care about you. The song we sang this morning in the service a few minutes ago asked the question, does Jesus care? Songwriter asked, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does he care? Does Jesus care when I've try tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? For when my, uh, when my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long, does he care? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my Sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? Does he care? The songwriter answers the question in the chorus. Praise the Lord. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. He cares for you. And yes, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a storm, he absolutely cares. These uh, men have said, carest thou not? Didn't realize who they were asking. One of the disciples there that dark stormy night on the boat who falsely accused Jesus of not caring. Years later, many years later as he pens an epistle, writes these precious words. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, Peter wrote those words. And you know, Peter was in the boat that day and probably was the one who said, Carest thou not that we perish? Because he seemed to be the spokesman of the disciples. But years later, there was a great radical change in his heart, and he said, You know what? I'm convinced that he cares. Um, we, what happened to Peter? What caused him to then say, he careth for you? Well, we know that Peter was bold and big with his words until he did the unthinkable. He denied the Lord three times. Well, after the resurrection, it was Jesus who showed himself to this discouraged and defeated disciple. It was then he showed tremendous love and care. And from there on out, Peter was convinced Jesus does indeed care. And can I just encourage you this this morning, when you're, if you're in the middle of a storm, he does care. Do not falsely accuse him of not caring, because he does. And so we see the sailors were concerned, but then number three, and lastly here, I want us to see that the Savior was in control all along. Yes, the storm was chaotic. Yes, there was franticness and panicking going on, but guess what? Jesus was totally and completely in control. In this 
passage, we see a couple things that he showed us. First of all, he showed us his peace, his peace. Verse number 38 says, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. I wonder if it was a Mr. Pillow or my pillow. I'm not sure. Um, Could have been. But he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. See, while the storm was raging, the Savior was resting. He didn't panic. He didn't hear the thunder and go, oh, what's that? Oh, we got to figure this out. Oh, no, what's going to go on? Oh, no, we better. He didn't, he didn't panic. He was at complete peace. During the chaos, Jesus was in complete control, so much so that uh, he was asleep. And uh, one of my proof texts for uh, Sunday afternoon naps, I don't know if this was a Sunday exactly that he taught all this, um, but uh, Jesus took naps, and uh, I want to, in fact, there's a uh, shirt here, Jesus took, took naps, be like Jesus, and uh, somebody should get that shirt for me, I would totally wear it, uh, because that is totally, totally me right there. I'm a professional. If there was an Olympic sport, I realize the Olympics are going on right now, if there was an Olympic event called napping, I'm your man. Gold medalist for sure, okay? I wouldn't even need any training. I've been training for this my whole life, okay? I'm ready to go for the gold in napping, all right? Now, here's the deal. Lord, the Lord has always been and always will be in control. No matter how chaotic it is in your life or in the world around us, the Lord is in complete control. There's never been nor ever will be a time when God is in heaven looking down at all that's going on and going, ooh, what are we going to do? This is a little more than I thought was going to happen. God is not like that. Generally speaking and individually in our lives, he doesn't panic, even though what goes on in our life might seem kind of scary. Psalm 103, verse number 19 said this, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. See, he's ruling and reigning even now. Yes, he's given the devil some leeway at this point of time. He is the God of this world at the moment, Satan is, but ultimately nothing happens without God's stamp of approval. And God is in complete control. I just want to encourage us this morning as we think about this thought of God's peace. We need to, when we're going through a difficult time, we really honestly need to take our burden to the Lord and leave it there. We don't need therapy as much as we need to take our burden to the Lord and leave it there. We don't need medication as much as we need to take our burden to the Lord and leave it there. A lot of people do turn to medication. They turn to uh, people to help in these times of storms. And, and, and I'm not discounting some of this stuff that can help. But, but honestly, if we don't take the burden of the Lord, don't expect something else to do what only God can do. We don't need medication as much. We don't need marijuana, alcohol, other drugs to deal with our problems. I realize that we live in more, which is kind of like the capital of marijuana in the world. Everywhere you look, there's a marijuana shop that is creeping up. We don't need weed. We need the Word. Uh, We need to take our burden to the Lord. And when we do, according to Philippians 4 and verse number 7, praise the Lord, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look, when we take our burden to the Lord, guess what? He promises to give us a peace that this world cannot understand. The problem is we have maybe thought we tried that and it didn't really work, so let's go find something else that will work. No, what we did is we picked that burden back up. We didn't leave it with God. Isaiah 26 and verse number 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let him be the shelter in your time of storm. Let him be your refuge, your fortress, your shield. So he showed his peace, but then, praise the Lord, last thought here is he showed his power. And we find this in verse number 39. He woke up, simply rebuked the wind. A lot of times when he rebukes something, it is from 
the opposite. Uh, it's from Satan's side, and that's why I believe that this was um, a satanic storm. Because remember when he rebuked Peter, he said, get, behind, get thee behind me, Satan. But he rebuked the wind, and then he said to the sea, simply, peace, be still. And that kind of connects with the last thought there, or the previous thought on his peace. But he showed his power by simply being able to speak to the wind and to the sea and to the waves. And he shows his power. Now, he already displayed his power over temptation and sin when he was in the wilderness. He displayed his power over devils, disease, and deformity in the different miracles that he's already performed in the Gospel of Mark. And now he's showing his power over nature. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Here's how powerful Jesus is. All he had to do was simply rebuke the wind and say the words, Peace be still to the sea. And boom, the wind ceased. And the Bible says in verse 39, there was a great calm. I mean, they thought they were going to die. And the next moment, it's like nothing happened. It's like, what? In one moment. Then Jesus lovingly rebukes the disciples in verse number 40. He said to them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, if you think the disciples were scared before or during the storm, that's nothing to their fear now that it is calm, that the storm is over. Because look in verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is all-powerful. Uh, just one verse here, and then uh, make a couple comments in the close. I, I realize it's, uh, we've got uh, the Noah lunch waiting on us here. But Jeremiah 32, in verse number 17, the Bible says, All Lord God, one of my favorite verses about the power of God. All Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. What are you facing today? It might be too big for you like this storm was for the disciples, but it's not too big for him. Nothing is impossible with God, even calming a storm. So Jesus took this opportunity to show his power and his deeds to his disciples to increase their faith and ours as we read about it. Now, a lot of lessons I could remind us of as we close this message this day, but uh, I do want to just end with verse number 40 once again. He said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? According to verse number 40, there are really two options. You can live by fear or you can live by faith. It's one of the two. Which one is it going to be for you? What Jesus was trying to communicate in those parables, he was now really driving home the point in the problem that they faced. He was saying, hey, I told you that I was going to bring forth fruit. I told you that I'm sovereign. I told you that uh, the, the Father is going to make it all happen and he's going to uh, make the fruit grow and, and you just simply need to trust him. I, I've told you all these things. Now it's time to prove it in a real life situation. One that they would never forget. And uh, I want to encourage you to not live by fear in something that may not even be real. A lot of times this is how uh, we get all panicky. We think the absolute worst and God looks at it and says, seriously, the way I look at that storm, it's just a, it's just a croissant. It's nothing. You don't need to worry. You don't need to stress. You don't need to panic. You don't need to assume the worst. And you absolutely don't need to accuse me of not caring because I do. Live by fear or by faith. What's it going to be? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this um, very rich passage of Scripture. So many more things could be said here. And uh, I look forward to preaching this again sometime in a different angle. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn the lessons that we've mentioned today.
Help us, Lord, to choose to live by faith in a great, peaceful God who is powerful, where nothing is too hard for you, where nothing is impossible with you. Lord, you have power over the wind and the waves. Lord, the wind and the waves that are in our lives right now, you have power over that. Lord, it's not too big for you. So, Lord, please help us to not be scared. Help us to not fear, but instead to have faith in you. Lord, you are a good and great God. And thank you for allowing us to know you and uh, to have you as our resource in our life. Lord, we really have absolutely zero reason to ever fear, knowing that we are on your side and that you are our Heavenly Father going to protect and provide for our every need. Lord, we're not going to live forever, and there may be a time we, there will be a time in our life when we pass from this life. Lord, help us to know that that timing and the way is all within your control, all within your plan and your will. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. As the piano begins to play, I want to invite you to have a time right here this, this, this afternoon before we uh, are dismissed. And uh, perhaps the Lord has pinpointed something in your heart. I have prayed that he would, that needs to be changed. Um, that needs to be, a decision needs to be made. I want to encourage you to take this, the next few minutes and have a time with the Lord. And, and then if you're here today and you're not sure you're a Christian, I want to invite you after the service to come shake my hand and say, I'm not a Christian, but I'd like to be sure that I am. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know that. I'll go ahead and be quiet for the next few moments and let you have a time of prayer there in your seat.